Welcome to the broadcast. Every Arizona homeowner's best friend. Thanks for tuning in. It's Rosie on the house. Your weekend wake-up tradition. Well, good morning, all y'all. Hope you're waking up to the same beautiful Arizona Saturday morning I'm waking up to. Woo! Okay, okay, we hit 90. I get it, I get it. But you know what? If we didn't ever get to 110 for four to six weeks in the summer, we'd be at 20 million people in Arizona. So it took me 40 years of living here to like the summer. Right. And it's because it limits us to only 7 million right now. (laughs) We are here this morning in studio to talk outdoor environments, outdoor living, outdoor gardening, landscaping. And we're here with the one and only urban farmer, Mr. Greg Peterson. Good morning, Greg. Uh, Good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Man, thank you. So what were you doing on the record-setting heat day of yesterday? Oh my gosh, I wasn't working in the yard. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) We did do a walk with the dog yesterday morning, though. Okay. Well, I have not put my summer shade on the kennels yet, so I actually went home at lunch and moved my dogs into the air-conditioned garage. Right. Yeah. (laughs) They are so spoiled. Now, we wanted to talk today about water. Yeah. We got some coming on Tuesday, don't we? You know, uh, the last little Weather Channel spot check I did um, said 87% chance. And the storm is fairly significant. It's going to combine with another storm in the Midwest. And Louisiana, Texas, and all the South is going to get hit again, they're saying, with severe weather. Wow. So... Gary, you didn't have any relatives in the New Orleans Tornado District, No, the Araby is yeah. just a few miles outside of downtown, yeah. but I have a friend who's originally from Chalmette. Yeah, yeah. And uh, she was heartbroken about that. And it did. Yeah. That was a humdinger, man. And watching it live on TV was, yeah. was pretty scary. We, we also did not have any family impacted by that, but it was a humdinger. So they're anticipating another pretty significant storm through the south uh, – sections of america here coming this week but that's going to start with a little rainstorm here on tuesday nice we'll take it so what do we can what 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 can we do to grab it there you go well (laughs) so the question i get a lot from people is it legal to collect rainwater in arizona it is it's completely legal to collect it and direct it Uh, i'm a big fan of directing the rainwater rather than storing it planting it in the ground and then uh um, and then planting your plants around where you plant the water. The topic this hour is water management in your garden. Yeah. So we're starting that. Uh, I mean, let okay, rain's coming. Rain's coming. But let's look at how most, the great majority of gardens are watered. Yeah. And that's... City water? City water. Yeah. Yeah. And so the first thing I like to... Ins- to coach people to do is look to see where their water comes from. City water is one of them. I happen to get flood irrigation, uh, but there are other places where water can come from. Um, There's, we talked about rainwater, there's gray water. Gray water is also legal in the state of Arizona to use. Gray water is any water that goes down any drain of your house, except your toilet or your sink. And Greg, check me on this. That hasn't been the case for very long because that was illegal in Maricopa County 
just up until about 10 years ago, wasn't it? Yeah, um, Pima County's been doing it forever, but yeah. I, Maricopa really fought it. Um, Arizona DEQ put uh, guidelines in place. There's 13 guidelines for okay. collecting and directing gray water uh, around 2004, 2005. So oh, that, okay. Was, okay. that was the whole state. Uh, and um, I loved it. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Why not? Well, in permaculture, permaculture is one of the things that I study. It's a it's a derivative word, permanent and culture, permanent and agriculture. In permaculture, we study something called stacking functions. Yes, I've heard you. I've heard you talk about that yeah. several times. Stacking functions is the process by which we use one asset, in this case, water going down your drain, a second time. And, uh, it, you know, it's, it's a logical, for me, it's a logical way to go in your yard. How, you know, you have an asset called water. How many times can you use it? I have an evaporative cooler on my roof. I also have an air conditioning unit on my roof. During uh, the spring, I get water off my evap. During the summer, I get water off of my air conditioning unit. Nobody believes me when I tell them how much water your AC generates. It's crazy. I've got seven tons on my house, a four uh-huh. ton and a three ton. Yep. Uh, through July and August, those units combine to one condensate drain. Wow. And they go into a collection device, and I collect about 15 gallons a day. Wow. Now, that's, that's 450 gallons a month. Mm-hmm. And I think people can picture a 55-gallon drum. Yep. Okay. Everybody knows what a 55 gallon drum. I fill seven and a half of those every month in a month. Why wouldn't you collect it? I, I, you know, <laughs> it goes into a little culvert that bubbles up in the garden and it just, it, it, and the, and the dogs do get their fair share, but they can't go through 450 gallons a month. Right. Well, and the condensate is essentially distilled water. It, it absolutely is. I was, I was challenged when I said that last summer and a, a listener said, Oh, you're so full of bull. Uh, I said, well, just put a five-gallon bucket under there and check me. And he had to empty his bucket three times in a day. He wow. says, He says, okay, I give. You're right. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Exactly. It, it's so, a lot of water. Yeah. So what I've done in the past at the urban farm with that condensate and the EVAP cooler water, it goes into a fish pond. And a decade or so ago, I was actually raising fish to eat in that fish I, pond. I remember that. Yeah. And then... Um, the water goes into the garden. So now we're using the water three times. I, I had to rescue someone off McDowell Mountain, the backside of McDowell Mountain, last summer. And they were, they were completely dehydrated. Uh-huh. They had, we had to air evac them. Wow. And then I had to walk out with their partner. And he says, why do you hike in a hat, long sleeve and long pants? I said, my water, first it quenches my thirst. Yep. Then it cools me off by sweating yep and then it cools me off by evaporation from throughout from your my clothes. clothes i said i'm using water three times buddy <laughs> yeah. you know, so that's a stacked function in a similar scenario Ex- exactly and that's the cool thing about stacking functions you can find it anywhere when i was at asu getting my uh, undergraduate degree in 2002 um in my transportation my transportation class um, we talked about stacking functions when yeah. you drive. You go, to, you don't go to the grocery store, come home. Go to the, the you know, the dog pet store and come home. You you kind of stack them, so you can find stacking functions 
everywhere, really. And you're kind of pushed into transportation stacking at $5 a gallon. <laughs> you <laughs> right? got to do that, yeah, right? right? That will push you in into that discipline. Yeah. Okay, uh, I'm not just going to jump in a 300-horsepower vehicle, go down to the grocery store and pick up a loaf of bread. There's got to be some dry cleaning needs to be yeah. probably, you know, <laughs> get a few things done at one time. Exactly. And so, you might you might think why we're talking about transportation in and <laughs> And again, it goes to the stacking functions and being more efficient on the planet, the way we live. Absolutely. Just milk it for all it's worth, right? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. So city water, flood irrigation, rainwater, gray water, well water, evap cooler runoff, AC condensate. And, but this last talking point, I'm not, I'm not, not so clear sure. about. I, I'm not sure I would share this with anyone in my family. Get creative. <laughs> uh, right? Yeah, yeah. Your family must be a lot more sophisticated than my family. <laughs> hey, we have a compost bin out back and it needs water. I'm just saying. I guess. I guess. All right. So a big part of identifying where your water comes from, and, and virtually every lot has multiple resources for collecting exactly. and gathering water. Just now, need- what do you do with it? Pay it. That's the paying attention part. Really, what we want to do is we want to direct that water where we want to grow things. I'm a big, big proponent of not storing rainwater. Tell me why. Because rainwater tanks are expensive. Oh, that's a good, okay. That's one good reason. Rainwater tanks are really <laughs> expensive. I have two rainwater harvesting uh, systems set up, at least two at the urban farm on okay. the back patio. And one of them is a $1,500 uh, rainwater collection tank that I built about 20 years ago. You built it 20 years ago for 1500 Yes. Okay. So, yeah. so that's, Exa- that's now a $3,500 Probably. Tank. Yeah. Probably. Okay. All right. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it maybe saves me $5 a month on my water bill. Okay. So when you do the math on that, for the inexpensive- You better be young. Exactly. <laughs> you better be young. You better exactly. be young. The rainwater harvesting system on the south side of my back patio cost me $80. I like that better. It collects the same amount of water, but it just collects it and directs it out into an orchard that I have in the backyard. Collects it, doesn't store it. Exactly. Okay. So that's, that's why. Now, am I saying rainwater harvesting tanks are bad? Not at all. But you need to make sure that they're appropriate for your space. You know, if you're on a well... Like my friend Barbara down in Tucson, she's on a well, and her well has gone dry in the past. Uh, She's got a rainwater harvesting tank on each corner of her house, because, and she's got a metal roof, so she's actually using it for potable water. Okay. Um, And that's a brilliant place to have rainwater harvesting tanks. Okay. So they're not bad. You just have to use them appropriately. I wish I could remember... The numbers. This is where this is where Romy would come in. But for every inch of rain, for every thousand square foot that falls on, on your roof, it's six hundred. Six hundred gallons. Yeah, you get six hundred gallons of water. I mean, you, you can fill up a big basin really fast with oh, yeah. proper. I mean, this this rain. I mean, the last rain we had was a half inch. I mean, on a two thousand square foot roof. Right. Well, and when you think about your whole property. So I'm not just thinking about the water collection the capacity roof. of the roof. I'm thinking about my entire property. And I have 13,000 square feet. 
And in September of 2014, we got a three-inch rain. That's right. That was 29,000 gallons of water. Free. In an hour. Ion charged. Free. Exactly. The same same water that flooded every underpass on Interstate 10 and 17. I remember the pictures of the flooded car top sitting out there. Yep. Yeah, exactly. That was a humdinger. Greg, we're going to take a short break here. We'll be right back continuing our conversation about let's get that garden watered. Running, swimming, riding, or on a swing. Water is everything. Water is everything. Water is everything. If you don't believe it, try and go without it. Right? (laughs) Right? We're here with the urban farmer, Mr. Greg Peterson. If you'd like to join the conversation or have a question about your garden, uh, give us a ring at 1-888-767-4348. In particular today, talking about the management of water on your property. We've talked already about the multiple different sources of water people may not realize they have. Right. Make sure you're taking advantage of every place it's generated. And now let's go and start talking about, okay, you manage water, you don't store it. Right. Where are we managing it to? Well, we're managing it to the places in our yard where we want to grow things. And the big key piece of that is that you're not just dumping it on dirt. Decomposed granite. Or decomposed <laughs> granite. Although it helps. It can't hurt, right? It can't, getting the water there can't necessarily hurt. But remember, we talked last, hour, last uh, segment about uh, 29,000 gallons of water at the yes. urban farm in a two-hour period. Yes. My yard just soaked it up. My yard's a great big sponge that just soaked it up. And so really what we like to do is create sponges for the water to arrive at. So when it arrives, it just soaks it up. That's a, now, now that two things, it's either very expensive to do it all at once, or you have to be patient and how deep do you need to go? And how do you do it? Right. There you go. How do you turn your lot into a sponge? Add lots and lots and lots and lots of woody mulch. Do you take soil the the expansive clays that we've got do you evacuate them i don't okay just build right on top of them i do garden consults for people on the phone and often i'll get somebody that sends me pictures of their yard and it's either it's a dirt backyard straight dirt and my first piece of coaching for them is to put your water and electric in step number one okay step number two is cover it with eight to 16 inches of woody mulch Wow. That's, I know it may sound like a lot. No, no, it may not sound like, it does sound like. (laughs) (laughs) But what happens very quickly within, first of all, within the first week or two, that interface between the dirt and the woody mulch starts breaking down. Okay. And making really amazing soil. Secondly, after about six months, you're not going to have 16 inches of woody mulch. You're going to have about four inches of woody mulch because it's breaking down that fast. Are you, are you managing that in any way or just letting it, let nature take its course? Just like in a forest. I love that. <laughs> just like in a forest, you, ta- you let nature take its course. You just okay. let nature do what it does. But you, you've got to build in some patience. I mean, you've just talked about exactly. 16 inches to four in, what, nine months? Yeah. Okay. Well, and it's, it's a, it's a, you're right. It's a process. Okay. 
um, and a process to be patient with. But what you get over time is amazing soil in your yard, an amazing water holding capacity, um, and an amazing place to grow food. Now, at the end of about nine months, I'm, I, I, I'm going to really have a hard time not going to A to Z rents and getting a rototiller. Uh, uh, uh. Well, you can could I do, do that. Could I do that? You could do that. Okay. And then, but then you'd want me to put mulch on top of it again. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. You want to add mulch on top of it. So when I'm doing this, when can I put my yard into use? Am I going to be building my soil for two years before I can get the garden going or a tree or something? No. Okay. You can actually strategically put in maybe some raised beds, some garden beds, uh, plant your fruit trees. Those can all be planted within a month or two of you planting your yard full of woody mulch. Oh, I like that. Yeah. Okay, so, so I'm not just sitting there waiting. I mean, that's like watching paint dry, watching, <laughs> watching your mulch enhance your soil. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. Uh, so you can jump in right away. Okay. And, and do things. It's, it's what I like to do when I do consults with people. I like to get them started on a project, like a raised bed garden. And get the woody mulch in, because while you're raising, you know, raising your garden groceries, your soil's doing what your soil's doing, and that increases the carrying capacity and the holding capacity of your soil immensely by just having the woody mulch there. Okay. Well, I, I like that. And by the way, I just remembered you owe me a consult. Oh yes, okay. Well, let's do it. And I'm and I'm glad we didn't do it before because Jennifer's moving us. Well, I'm gonna do, we're gonna do it at the new location. Oh, good, <laughs> fantastic. So when we when I get you on a consult, when you when a homeowner gets you on a consult, what are you talking to them about as it relates to soil components? And you've got about thirty seconds to hit your five little. Great. So there's five components of healthy soil. Dirt is one of them. It's broken down rock. We all have plenty of that. Dirt, airspace, water, organic matter, and everything that's alive in the soil. And the fix is add organic matter. Like 16 inches of mulch. Yep. Now, where do I get woody mulch? Chip, chipdrop.com for free. Okay. And again, you may have to be patient there because you, you, you have to wait till your, your number comes up. And exactly. you get a lot. So and, and you get a lot. Space. And you get a lot. We'll be back with Greg Peterson, the urban farmer here in the Outdoor Living Hour of Rosie on the House. If you'd like to join the conversation, it'd be a great time to jump in. one 767 And a place to sit somewhere Thank you for tuning in to the Outdoor Living Hour of Rosie on the House. Well, we're talking outdoor living primarily in your garden today with the one and only urban farmer, Mr. Greg Peterson. So, Greg, we've turned our lot. We've we've talked about recognizing all the sources of water you do already have. Yep. Recognize them, grab them, manage them. We've talked about turning your lot into a sponge. And that, that's intimidating to me. When, mm. when uh, Jennifer and I have been in the same home for over 30 years, um, we ended up in, a, in an old, old home, but it had a very large lot. Ah. Uh, we're on an acre. 
Yep. And um, I decided to turn 250 square feet of it into a garden. Yay! It took me, I know it took me 12 years of enhancing that rock. The The first year I rototiller, I had to bring the rototiller back to the rental yard with like four broken teeth. Oh my gosh, <laughs> right? Oh, I mean, I had to use a jackhammer to break it up at yeah. first. But I'll tell you what, you go in that garden today, and man, uh, that it, it, the, the soil condition in that 250 square feet is pretty enviable. And I, it's one of the reasons I'm resisting a move is i got to start all that all over, over again. again. And now yeah. we don't have teenage boys do that. You know, that was really oh, good. Right? Exercise, that was really good pastime for teenage boys. Hey, go go turn that thing. That was really good. Really <laughs> well, I can good. I can help you get jump started on that. That's well, easy. I'm going raised planter for sure. All right, good. So I'm going to start with good soil, protect it from the gophers on the bottom, yep. uh, rabbits from the top, and birds from above. And uh, um, I, I, I'm going to build uh, 14 plant prisons that are all raised and elevated. Now, we were talking about enhancing the soil, watering the different sources it is. I want to talk to the different systems of distributing it. But before we do that, I want to talk about the value of shade. Shade. Huge. Huge. You know, just like we shade our house, my office has a west-facing external wall. And when I didn't have a mulberry planted there, I couldn't, and you know, I'd go out there in August oh. and I couldn't touch the wall. It was oh, so no. hot. Yeah. And all that heat is radiating into the house. Then I have to cool the house in order to That's count, right. right? So just like putting the mulberry up to shade the house, we want the first thing you can do, especially in your basins around your tree and in your gardens, is plant a ground cover. Plant some kind of ground cover that shades the ground. In my front yard a few years ago, it was 145 degrees at bare dirt. Soil temperature. Soil temperature was 145 degrees. Underneath the sweet potatoes growing in my front yard, it was 89 degrees. That's the difference between plants thriving and plants driving. I can't talk today. Thriving or dying. Dying. Sweet potato makes a good ground cover yeah. year-round? Year yeah. Uh, it actually dies back in the winter. Okay. Um, you can harvest sweet potatoes from the space. We had, um, I don't know, 30, 40 pounds of sweet potatoes that we harvested out of the front yard this past year. Uh, and you just go to the grocery store and find an organic sweet potato, let it start sprouting on your uh, kitchen counter, and put it in the ground. Okay. And one sweet potato, does it re-root? It does. Okay. So it, and every place it plants a root is another place you could possibly harvest that next potato, right? Exactly. Yeah. I have uh, sweet potatoes from 25 years ago in my front yard. They just come back year after okay. year after year. All right. That's a great ground cover tip. It is. And I love sweet potatoes. I'll, I really I'll add those cowpeas too, because so, you've mentioned oh, yeah. cowpeas okay. can be planted. Yeah. There's the urban like farm. Crazy. Okay. The urban farm cowpeas, which is a nitrogen-fixing bean that grow wild in my yard now. So the value of shade. Huge. So we've recognized water sources. We've encouraged you to manage them appropriately. We've encouraged you to turn your lot into a sponge. We've encouraged you to shade that sponge, and that's strategic. So some of the stuff you're going to want to grow requires some sunlight, right? Right. Okay. Exactly. Now let's go back to water. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. Now that we've recognized the sources of our water, mm-hmm. what's the right way to distribute it? 
Well, that's kind of up to your space. Okay. So that's a, in permaculture, uh, our favorite answer. Well, it depends. <laughs> okay. I love that. <laughs> it depends. It depends what you're watering and how you're watering it. Watering trees with a single drip emitter next to the trunk is a recipe for failure. It's really a death sentence. It is. For the tree. It is. Absolutely. Now, we've, we've come up internally at the urban farm, we've come up with what's called a drip ring. And the drip rings have 18 half-gallon per hour emitters. And it's just it's a ring that goes in the base and around the tree. Um, so drip irrigation can work. It's not necessarily the best way okay. to water your gardens and, um, and your fruit trees. So there are other solutions. Uh, we have something, my favorite thing is called drip tape. Okay. Drip tape is not drip irrigation. Drip tape is a farming uh, practice used on large, medium to large farms. And the reason you probably don't know about it is because it's never been downsized to home gardens. Oh, okay. And the cool thing about drip tape is, is that you set it up similar to a drip irrigation system. But when the drip tape system turns on, it fills all of the drip lines before they start leaking. So one of the challenges we have with drip irrigation is you get more water at the beginning of the system than you do at the end of the system. Okay. With drip tape, everything pressurizes equally, and then it starts dripping. So you get drip irrigation, uh, you get water evenly throughout your garden, which is really important. Now, in a vegetable garden mm -hmm. where you're going to be eating the leafy greens, mm -hmm. Don't you like to just kind of wash off the leafy greens every once in a while? I, I like a spray head yeah. just to kind of rinse it off every once in a while. Yes, and I usually do that in the sink after I harvest them. Okay, <laughs> oh, not, not in their growth cycle. Okay. Right. All right. Because um, especially with our hard water here, uh, above spraying sprinklers puts that calcium on the leaves of the plants. Okay. And it can... It can doesn't necessarily have to, but it can negatively impact them. Okay. Plus, if you're spraying the water in the desert, how much of it's evaporating? A lot. You know? Um, now, if you want to go out there with your hose and hose everything down once a week or so, that's, you know, that's not a problem. I'm going to pivot here because we have a caller that wants to talk to us. It, it You know, sometimes one of us mentions one thing, uh -huh. and then that triggers like a string of phone calls. <laughs> Good. And I said I wanted to go raise planter gopher proof. So now Steve says, oh, yeah, gopher proof? Yeah. Yeah. Tell me about gopher proof. Steve, good morning. <laughs> hey, Rosie, it's one of those things, you know, when you say it, all of us want to know, how do you gopher proof it? Is there something you do? Is there something you buy? Can you tell us what that is? All right, Steve, hang on one second. Uh, Greg, <laughs> you, I, I have the raised plant, gopher proof raised planter engineered in my head, but what do you – your third of an acre yep. is go for ve less. very lively. It's got so much living on it. Yeah, no so, gophers, though. But how do you manage that? So Is it the flood irrigation? Does that keep them out? No, because there are gophers in my neighborhood. Okay. Uh -huh. Maybe I just, you know, I just curse them. I, I, okay. put, a, I put a hex on them to stay away, and okay. they've never shown up. Well, if that works, you could uh... – So um, gopher-proofing – 
let's just start with your garden and go for proving your garden. Yeah. Um, one of the things that I've started looking at is my weed walls. Okay. So in my front yard at the urban farm, I have Bermuda grass and the garden beds don't have Bermuda grass in them because about 20 years ago, I built a 18 inch deep concrete wall down into the ground that keeps the Bermuda grass out. Keeps the roots out. Yeah. And one of the things I've been pondering, because um, I'm going to be building a greenhouse in a place where there's gophers here pretty soon. Okay. One of the things I've been pondering is figuring out how deep gophers dig. And I think they stay in the top 18 inches or so. I don't know. So it'll be a good piece of data for me to find. And I'm thinking what I'll do with my new greenhouse is I'm going to go down two feet with a concrete wall. Okay. So that when they try and get in, they hit a block wall. All right. So that's that's just kind of planning in my head. One of the things that I've also heard people do is they take uh, hardware cloth, you know, the metal yeah, hardware yeah. cloth. Metal, yeah. Hardware cloth. And Me- metal, folks, think of it as metal screening. Yes. Okay. Perfect. But heavy-duty metal screening. Heavy, heavy yes. Well, yeah. not, like a, not like a door screen. It's much heavier than that. Exactly. And lay that down in the bottom of it. The problem with... That is that in five years, you're going to have to do it again. Right. Because, you know, it'll break down. Any gopher it gets through is going to be toothless. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. um, I we have talked 20 years ago. We had someone tell us, Rosie, you take one gallon Arnold pickle jars, glass jars. Uh-huh. Arnold's pickles. Oh, uh-huh. my gosh. How about that? <laughs> oh, right. You fill them three quarters of the way full, put the lid on it, and you bury them in the ground, around your garden. The water vibration, as the gophers start moving towards that, will give them the impression they're coming up on a reservoir, and they will turn around, and you will isolate an area that is gopher-free. And from every application we tried that, it works. Wow. One-gallon glass jars filled with water, buried in the ground, with the tops exposed, so you can fill it with water occasionally. Oh, and check all right, it, okay? uh-huh. yeah. Um, but in a raised planter, that's why I'm going raised. I will do a hardware cloth. The mm-hmm. planters will be sized enough where they're going to have to be reconstituted and rebuilt every five to seven years anyway. Yep. yep. Uh, I'm going to be doing some gopher teeth breaking material <laughs> along the bottom. Right. There'll be stacked bell guard pavers. Uh, dry pavers, mm-hmm. building it up. There'll be a little screen arch over the top. Because my problem is raising the dogs. Um, oh, yeah. My dogs used you, to go into the garden and dig up carrots and eat the snow peas right off of the plants. And, and, then, my, and then a bird gets through and gets stuck in there. Mm. And, and then maybe by the time the dogs end up trying to get the bird, the screen's gone. The I mean, It's like, it looks like a crime scene, but the chew-proof guardian on the floor, Yep. raised planter, raised planter, organic mix, mix from Arizona worm farm, sprinkler system accordingly. Yep. And then protect it from the birds above. And that's, um, and, and rabbits. I mean, I, my, my winter harvest, I, I just thought, why isn't this growing? Why isn't this growing? I finally built an expanded metal lath cover, and I covered it, boom, in three days they were exploding. I was feeding the rabbits. Yep. I don't know how they were getting in there. (laughs) But once I protected them, I mean, it just exploded. 
I had a lady maybe 15 years ago out in Paradise Valley that uh, I did a consult with, and she built a uh, hardware cloth cage, eight feet tall. You know, it was 20 yeah. by 40, uh, hardware cloth on yeah. the top and the sides. It kept the critters out, and she had a wonderful garden that way. And that's, that's dedication. Okay, there, there's, a, there's another option. Um, we're we're going to take a little break here, but when we get back, you've got some of this all this material coming up in a class you're going to get. I do, Tuesday night. I want to talk about that when we get back. Cool. Oh, yeah. That is your Saturday morning toe-tapping music stream provided to you Free of charge by our producer, Gary D of Rosie Gary, on the house. Gary D is a rock star when it comes to music, man. He's always got the perfect song for it, us. I it, love that. His music Rolodex between those ears is unbelievable. <laughs> right? <laughs> Absolutely and I unbelievable. Wonder, I wonder how he comes up with some of this stuff sometimes. I, I do not know. I was in my bedroom when I was a kid, and I bought <laughs> records and listened to them over Vinyl. and over. Vinyl. And it's amazing what pops in my head during a run or a bike. I'm like, God, I hadn't heard that song like this one, Brandy, with uh, Looking Glass. I'm yeah, like, exactly. I hadn't heard that song in ages. I, heard that I, in ages. I have that on my music mix on my computer. There you go. Um, I wanted I wanted to talk about one component of water. Yeah. Um, that we haven't covered yet. Yep. You mentioned um, the option if if you're on a city water supply system mm-hmm. and that's how you're watering your garden and your trees and stuff of removing the chlorine. Yeah. From the water prior to distributing it to the garden. Yeah. How would you do that without a whole house water treatment system? What's your what what's your what's so your protocol there? There's multiple things going on here. First of all, why take out the chlorine? What's the chlorine for? Uh, kill organisms. Thank you very much. <laughs> and five components of healthy soil are dirt, airspace, water, organic matter, and everything that's alive in the soil. The more life you have in the soil, that life is responsible for extracting the nutrients out of the soil and getting it into the plants so your food tastes better when you have a lot of life in the soil. But are we talking about a $3,500 rain harvesting tank right now? Are we talking about a big, big expense? No, not necessarily. Okay. I put a I put a uh, dechlorination system on my house for less than $200. Now, I installed it. Love I know it. how to do plumbing. Um, you know, whole, the, whole house, or whole just, house, whole okay. house, you know, the, the big blue filters. Yes. Yeah. They're about two and a half feet tall and they've yeah. got a carbon cartridge in them. That's, I put one of those on my house. Okay. Um, you can also, we sell through our, uh, urban farm fruit tree program. We sell a core, uh, basically a shower filter yeah, retrofitted yeah. for your spigot. Okay. So you just stick it on this spigot and it takes the chlorine out going to your garden. But really the important thing is that you get all the chlorine out. You shouldn't be showering with chlorinated water. You shouldn't be drinking chlorinated water because chlorine is, it, it's a good thing. Chlorine's a good in, thing. In the right it, application. In the right <laughs> application. Right. So removing it is really important. Um, there's multiple ways you can put a whole house system. You know, I'm, I'm sure you have a authorized partner that does Uh, systems. We do. Um, yeah. And there absolutely, that is the single 
biggest important thing you need to do is get the chlorine out of your water for your garden and for your health. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have to put some kind of dechlorinator right there at the vacuum breaker that feeds the irrigation system. Yeah, there you go. Okay. Now, we wanted to talk about a class. We've covered a lot about watering, yeah. where recognizing how many sources you have, managing it, how, what to do with the soil, mm-hmm. so you take most advantage of it. All of this is available on our podcast right yep. after you know after about noon today. Woo-hoo. But you're covering this again in a class. I am uh, Tuesday evening at five p.m., six p.m. 5 p.m., 6 p.m. At 5 or 6 p.m., we're doing a uh, Watering Your Garden in-depth class with PowerPoints and videos online. It's on Zoom, and you just go to urbanfarm.org forward slash events or go to urbanfarm.org and our event page, uh, and uh, it'll be um, right there to sign up for. It's free, Uh, and then we have the supplies you need. If you do choose to put a drip system in, um, or a chlorine removal system, and we have those supplies for for you to purchase. So the class is free, and then you can get supplies if you need them. Tuesday night. Tuesday night. Okay. And your point of plan, plan, plan. A, <laughs> lo- a lot of this, people don't even know the right questions to ask. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why I do the consults. That's why we do our free classes. Every month we do a uh, fruit tree class a live fruit tree chat where we talk about what's going on with your fruit trees. Every month we have our garden chat that's a live event and we have our uh, seed chat. And so if you go to urbanfarm.org forward slash events and they're all listed there and uh, we're all about education. Well, before you get out today, I'm going to be selfish and ask a question about my garden. Okay, good. (laughs) I'm running a little late. We've had some travel that we've been doing. I, I haven't planted my peppers, and fortunately, I don't have to plant tomatoes this year. I got some volunteers. Those and, are the best kind. Hey, baby, if you volunteer to grow in Rosie's garden, <laughs> right? They're going to grow the best. Oh, baby, I'm going to yeah. I'm going to bless you for sure. But am I too late to to get some peppers starters planted? I wouldn't probably start them from seed, mm, right? But right. transplants, you're good to go. What else can I get going? My my winter my winter leafies are just. Um, I don't think I have many more salads to pick yeah, out of there right now. Exactly. So plantingcalendar.org for a free planting calendar for me. Okay. Uh, but things that are going in now are your vining plants, squashes, melons, um, sweet peppers, peas. tomatoes. Peas are probably a little bit late for sweet peas. Is it? Darn it. Yeah, those go in in the fall. Uh, a lot of the beans go in. Uh, if you want to raise corn, corn, now's a good time for corn. And other but grains. you need a pretty good plot for corn, don't you? I mean, you, you, you do for getting them watered or getting them fertilized. Yeah. You know, um, but, you know, you can do 10 by 10 corn. and Oh, 10 by 10. Okay. Yeah, that'll get you a lot of corn. Mr. Greg Peterson, the Urban Farmer. Again, the website? Urbanfarm.org. And the class? Is uh, getting your water garden on Tuesday evening. All right, Greg. Thanks a million for joining us. We appreciate yeah. your wisdom and your willingness to share it with all the Arizona listeners.